Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Hallelujah. First Corinthians chapter one. Scoop my podium forward. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those that are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. I want to begin a series this morning that I've really been molding over for several months, but had the patience to deliver everything else that we had set out to do at the start of the year, building up to this, the Serve Team Fair. Thank you to all those that have signed up. Those are powerful weekends indeed. But really rolling right on what Brad said, it's something to always remind yourself of, that it really doesn't matter what agenda is strategized, what is happening in any natural realm whatsoever, with economic policies, political parties, Uh, We're politically active. I believe as a Christian, you should stand your ground. I mean, people are like, if you believe Christ is returning, why do you get involved? Because I have kids, and obviously, you're an idiot. (laughs) So, the conversation is now over. I mean, you you should be involved. I mean, if I showed up at your house... And you didn't know me, and I kicked in your door and sat on your couch and ate your steak. Are you just going to be like, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't, you know, one day I'll be in heaven, and so this doesn't really affect me. I'm going to look past this right now. Are you going to be like, bro, get up out my couch. Get out of my house. You have a bad agenda. I have kids. I don't trust you. So it is with our nation in, in that sense. We, we understand there's some people you got to kick out. But beyond that, you take solace in the fact, I think that's a real word, Thank God. I read a dictionary once. I got held up on the A's and just moved on to something better. But uh, you, take, you take comfort in the comfort that the Lord is moving and has a plan and has a strategy. And we get to be partakers in that if we desire to be a part of that. The Lord never forces you to be a part of what His plan is. It takes participation and desire on your part. 
to lean in or, or open yourself or say yes and be obedient and go after it. Sometimes putting one foot in front of the other, whatever it takes. But God is going to have the last laugh. I don't care if it takes another hundred years, it will come to pass exactly as the Lord says it will come to pass. But I don't believe that God is necessarily a reactionary God. He doesn't sit there and react to the plans of man. He just stands and waits for those to take his plan and move forward with it. And I believe it's a good hour for the church to remind herself that this is the hour not to defend, but the hour to very aggressively build the kingdom of God. That's why this year we're focusing on souls. Thank God for that. Amen. Each soul matters to the Lord. But as you read this, yes, we take comfort in the fact that God is going to have his way. It's both exciting and also offensive when you read this. Because when you read it, it says basically that reminding us that look around, not many of you were really wise people. You're all a bunch of foolish people. Not many of you were like, you know, amazing. You were like the idiots of the world, the poor of the world, the lacking of the world, the despise of the world. That's the church. Amen. So if you have ever felt in your life that you are lacking regarding something, take comfort. You're in a room full of these people according to the word of God. If you're going to be a loser, be a loser on the winning side. Amen. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Amen. You have... It's true. It basically boils down to the fact that God is not, why does God, and I, and, I, and I bring that to the point because I have spent so many countless hours crying out to the Lord to increase the anointing on my life, to give me a greater grace, to help me strengthen my faith, to stand taller, to be bolder, to preach longer, to, to believe bigger, to confess bigger. I mean, regularly crying out to the Lord with tears involved in moments of worship where I'm just like, God, what is the key to have a greater influence in this hour? Because people are hurting. People are buying into the lies. Fear is running rampant. The church is backing down and not standing up. And there's times I feel I'm not bold enough. And then there's times, you know, you, you, you do take a step of boldness and all these people come against you because you dare said the word politic or anything, you know, whatever. And it's like you have this heat, but I find myself crying out to the Lord. And really, ultimately, as I cry out, you, every time you're crying out for the more, it's like you, you, you're putting people before you that you're like, God, you've used this person this way, this person that way. You even throw in the people that have long since gone, the Smith Wigglesworths, the Catherine Coleman's, and you're like, God, raise up those people in this hour that carry such a presence that they can saturate a stadium and miracles explode and the gospel is preached and, and thousands are saved and revival breaks out and church. Churches are packed and people stop being concerned with what they don't need to be concerned about. And I remember when I, when, when I got saved, you know, I was in the world for, for this year. I turned 40 years old this year. Praise God. After that, bro, once I'm 40, you can take your opinion down the road. I am literally so mature because I'm 4-0. You know what I'm saying? I've made it into the 40s club. I'm going to carry myself a little taller. I might even get higher heels just so I'm a little taller. You know what I'm saying? I got cowboy boots at the house waiting for that day. Broaden my step and walk like this. I'm 40. Talk to me when you're over 40, young kid. 
And I'm 63. All right, well, whatever. <laughs> People are noticing I'm growing my beard back out. That's right, because I realize I actually hate shaving. <laughs> it's really annoying. You have to do it twice a day. Who has time for that? Let's be honest. And so I cry out to the Lord when I got saved. When I, before I was saved, at 19 years old, I was working air conditioning refrigeration company. And um, I actually was promoted to be a commercial foreman at 19 years old. Did I deserve it? Absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it just wasn't like we were that high quality of workers. So I was, <laughs> I, that was the best you had. You know what I'm saying? Like, he actually shows up 50% of the time. Make him the foreman. <laughs> Any business owners this day and age recognize that problem, you know, everywhere you go. Due to COVID-19 pandemic, we're experiencing a short shortage of staff, supplies, literally everything. Do not try and order anything on the menu. Just let us tell you what you can actually order. Wait three hours and we'll get right back to you. Enjoy it. It's like a paragraph signing a disclaimer. And if you die while you're here, it's not our fault. Okay, welcome to Estella's home-cooked meal. Let's go back to the kitchen and see what we can find. But where I don't even know how I got on that. So yeah, I know. I got promoted. <laughs> see, there's serve team opportunities here, and one of the serve teams is is you actually sit on the front row and help Pastor Caleb. <laughs> know where where the heck he's going so that's like a that's not a broadcasted serve team but i'm just revealing all of our spots right now you take notes you give directions sometimes pastor jeff throws a scripture at me to make it holy you get, get all the help you can get when you know what I'm saying don't don't do life alone get your front row people there with you too amen and so I was like easily successful in the world, or I felt that I was successful, and I felt, I mean, doors opened to me, and I would be promoted, and then I got saved, and I come into the church, and it was the exact opposite. Any, every, every, every time I tried to help, I helped wrong. Does that make sense? It's like if you vacuumed, that was like the place you weren't supposed to vacuum, or don't you know we want lines here? Line this way, then you come back that way, and it's got to look perfect, and your area just looks like you went like this. That's how I grew up vacuuming. You vacuum the dirt. You don't move a line. And so then I would try and, you know, get someone a water. But then I would spill the water on them. One time I was serving, serving, and, the, and the, the, you know, they would do all the ministers would eat afterwards. And I'm carrying in a plate. And I think I've told this story before. And it had lamb balls on it. Lamb, lamb meatballs. Lamb, lamb meatballs. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like, it's such an honor. I get to serve it to the man of God. And so I'm walking in there and I'm like nervous because I'm not like a server. I was a commercial, you know, air conditioner. I'm not a server. So I'm like walking in there and I'm trying to look dignified because you're supposed to look dignified. And I go to give it to the man of God. And right as I do, I tilt the plate and that lamb ball runs right onto his lap. Just plow. <laughs> I mean, I just baptized him with the food, you know, and it was like, I felt like disappearing. Like, oh my gosh, that was the last time I was ever asked. After that, I would be like, hey, you know, I'm available. Yeah, just keep on being available, young man. 
one day the Lord will find something for you to do. And you're like, God, I'm like, I have a desire. I just am not good at anything. And I remember finally, you know, I began to find my way and, and the Lord, you know, helped me along the way and I started finding stuff I could do. And then as a servant, the Lord, you know, how I wind up in ministry is uh, I'm a Bible school student. I don't really, I, I love the Lord, but I didn't necessarily see ministry as my life. But then I attracted this girl. And when you attract the senior pastor's daughter, <laughs> things happen, which I have this anointing on my life because when I was in high school and I got in trouble with the law, I dated the assistant DA's daughter. <laughs> and I had favor in the court system all the way through. This guy would still be serving time, but I knew the right person. In high school, when I missed half of my senior year, I was dating the principal's daughter. And that, amazingly, I graduated with honors. There's always a workaround. Don't ever let anybody tell you it's impossible. You too can find a way. Even if your only skill is blonde hair and blue eyes. Use it, baby. So I attracted her, you know, it was, a, it was an instant connection. She was like a moth to a flame. She couldn't say no. <laughs> Most of the crowd realizes this entire story is totally fake. <laughs> you know it was the opposite, that you strive to get her. Okay, well, whatever. We're I have the microphone. I can tell the story how I want to tell the story. And make myself look cool. <laughs> History is usually written by the people with microphones. That's what I heard somewhere. <laughs> and I got saved, you know, and, and, and I'm serving the Lord, and I'm, I wound up marrying Kirsten, and there we are. And, and, I, and from that, I wound up getting to go. And before I go where I'm going, I'll just say this in the ministry, I've met so many fantastic people. Really, that's why I honor people 40 years in the ministry. I can promise you, if you sat with Brad and just listened to the things that have come through and challenged him and tried to persuade him to stop and people that have came against him and all the offense you've got to navigate to stay true to pouring your life out in ministry, it is a big deal. And I've met some many, many, many fantastic men and women that are just genuine, whether they have a microphone or they don't have a microphone, they are pouring their lives out for people and they love people but also you'll meet people in ministry in back rooms that you walk away from and you think what a total jerk but the Lord is using them and I, I want to hit this for a while and you're like why would God use such a horrible person and I, I, I talked about this one time here, and someone got mad at me, thought I was talking about them in the church, and left our church. And I'm like, how would you ever think I was talking about you must, what do you think of yourself? Because I don't think that of you. But I'm just telling you, God uses people, some of the rudest people, some just puffed up in the head, cocky people. I mean, and you, you, you walk away, and you feel like showering, you just feel like... I cannot believe you would use that person. God, take the anointing from them and put it on someone that is found worthy. He, uh, you know, they, they've been measured. They've been, you know, all of these things that go through your mind. Why would you use that person? Use me, God. And you cry out. And really, 
But the reason why we get to this place is because, as one people, as one person has said, we oftentimes judge ourselves based on our intentions, but we judge others based on their actions. And so we look at their actions and we just sum up that we are better than they are. We have paid a greater price. I have gone through the fire longer. I have better character. Are you kidding me? I shoveled cow poop for most of my upbringing. You want to talk about lowly? I can't get lower than that. Find it. You know what I'm saying? And so you sum yourself up and you think of yourself really better. And that's why you're offended that God would use this person. How dare he use a person that I would not pick? They don't deserve any drop of the anointing. And really, when you read the Bible, it blows your mind too. Have you ever read it and just thought, why did God use these people? Take Noah. Why did God choose Noah? Of all the people you chose Noah, he was such a bad parent. His kids all basically hated one another and, and made packs to try and, what, I'm going to take, my son's going to kill your son. They're dying. And then how did Noah handle it? He gets drunk and passes out in Thanksgiving naked. <laughs> this is the guy we would all ride off. You would not use drunken Uncle Noah naked at Thanksgiving. His sons hate one another. He's a bad parent. I'm a good, my kids, well, okay, they don't, they don't like really cush with each other. So far, murder has not been on the table, though, you know, so we consider that a win in our household. We may or may not have bought a bigger car to put space between them when we're driving, but don't judge, because I've seen some of your kids, too. Okay. Why would you choose Noah, God? He is not the dude for the job. Took him 120 years just to build a boat. I could build a boat in 10 years, guaranteed. We could have sped this thing up a whole, 120 years and you built a boat? Think about Leah in the Bible. Poor Leah. You read and the Bible basically says she had a weird eye or something. I mean, this is in scripture, people. I mean, poor Leah gets born with a squiff eye. And, and marries Jacob and is hated her whole life. So she's despised. Her sons hate the other sons. So it just brought animosity. Why would you ever do that? God, God. Let Leah find her other squiffied prince. And the Lord allowed it to happen and still chose him. Take Jacob, what I just said. Israel, Jacob, whatever you want to call. If he was the one to carry forward the blessing of God, why did you let him be born second? By him being born second, now he had to deceive and be a liar to manipulate his own family to obtain a blessing. And you read that, and you're trying to get some message out of it to lead the church forward, but you're like... (laughs) I mean, imagine if you came to church, and my message was, I feel the Lord is saying, go home, deceive your brother, lie to him, Cut him out of the wheel and take all of the wealth for yourself. Amen. You'd all walk away and be like, Pastor Caleb doesn't even have character. He's a liar from Liarsville. 
I won't be surprised if he runs for Senate the next time around. I know where his aspirations lie. And yet God chose Jacob. Knowing you would be born second, knowing you would have to manipulate, knowing that you would have to lie, and maybe that was why he had to marry Leah to begin with. The Lord's like, <laughs> payback. Look at me, Leah, look at me. That's why Jacob had two names. Oh, this side, it's Israel. I'm, I'm pulling it back. Pull it back. Make it holy, Pastor. Lord, help me make it holy. Take Joseph. Okay, why did God use Joseph? And we have all heard 18,000 sermons about from the pit to the palace. From the pit to the prison to the power, all of those things, you know. And amen, brother. But Joseph was such an idiot, he went to his own dad. You're going to bow before me. How dumb can you get and still breathe? I don't care how realistic the dream was. Some dreams we don't share, Joseph. Right? Have you ever read that and thought... Of course he got thrown in a pit. What an idiot. Going to all his brothers, one day you'll serve me. I'm Joseph. Look at all these colors. Yeah, you will see some colors, Joseph. Come here, I'll pop you three times. Throw you in a pit. I mean, he literally was so arrogant, he offended his whole family. The natural course was they're all angry. They are like... I know how to handle this. Take, take King Saul. So King Saul, this one's interesting. If Samuel was such a prophet of the Lord that he could hear his voice as a young kid and was so led by God that he could find David out in a field, even when the dad himself said, I don't have another son. But Samuel's like, there's one more. I don't know. Oh, yeah, there is one more. So he can hear all of that clarity, but yet he didn't hear nothing when he anointed Saul. So he was totally blinded so Saul would raise up, look the part, and then fail miserably in the part? Take Samson. Oh my gosh. Samson, what is your deal, bro? If you ever are laid up with Mrs. Somebody and she asks, what's your strength? And then that thing immediately happens and you do it three times, you've got to be a special kind of dumb. What was Samson? He accepted me, pick things up. Me break through walls, me step in. I've read that so many times and I'm like, okay, wait. This guy did not connect the dots. And I would make fun of Delilah, except I made fun of her in the first service and there was one sitting there. And so now I repent. If your name is Delilah, you're a beautiful person. It bears no resemblance to the Delilah in the Bible. But if your name is Samson, I would recommend you read some self-help books. Because you need all the help you can get. Amen. 
seriously, though, have you ever read that and thought, why? Why did, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and yet the Lord uses him. The Lord used Jacob. The Lord even used Leah to produce the 12 tribes of Israel. The Lord used all of these people that every one of us can easily write, read, and be like, they were not a good choice. Take Solomon, a man that the Bible says was given wisdom from God. And what did he do with the wisdom from God? He married or slept with 3,000 ladies. <laughs> do you know how confused you get with, 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 with one lady? Like you felt very confident as a man until you got married. Now you're still, 20 years later, trying to figure things out. I don't actually know half the time what's going on. I just smile and say, yes, ma'am. One day in the sweet by and by, it'll all make sense. <laughs> and he married 3,000 ladies. Yet you read Proverbs and you read Ecclesiastes and you're still, still obtaining wisdom. And yet the guy lived a reprobate life. The Bible says he brought in gods into Israel and defiled the nation. 3,000 ladies, every god Dagon, every god brought right back in. And why did David, a man after God's own heart, that had to fight every day of his life for the nation, his reprobate son got to live in peace and wealth? That doesn't even seem fair. Why would you do that, God? Why didn't Solomon get taken out and a better person show up? Take David, a man after God's own heart, who abandoned his first wife because she was annoying. <laughs> I can do better than that. I'm going to be a king someday, and you are nagging. So he went and married one lady, then another lady, then... I think maybe another lady. I, I lost count. And then he sees another lady, not even his wife, bathing. Besides, I want to know her in a way that leads to babies. She gets pregnant. It's not the solution, isn't at this time. We need to make this right before the Lord. And we need to come forward and repent. The solution is... I'm going to call your husband back. Maybe he'll sleep with you. And then nobody has to be the wiser. <laughs> right? But he doesn't come back because he's a man of greater character than David. And said, I should be on the front lines. And really, you should be on the front lines. And so then what was David's solution? Get the guy killed. And he got the guy killed. And only when a prophet walked in did he ever repent and lay down for his life. And yet you, you read that. And God picked David and said, this is the man that I will make the lineage of Christ come from. Because this is the king that is worthy for me to start a line from. And yet every single one of us would write David off. Because, man, I've screwed up in life, but I have not been a David. I haven't ordered anybody to be killed. I mean, there's been, no, no. I haven't. I've never even really thought about killing people. Ever. I've been angry before, but it's never in my mind. Kill them. <laughs> I, know, I know what to do. Murder them. Problem solved. But there are people like that still alive today. 
And the crazy thing is, is sometimes God will use the people you don't want him to use. And you read that and all of these people God chose and used were under a lesser covenant than you have. They weren't even under a covenant of grace. They were still under the old covenant, still depended upon the sacrifice of animals to get blood to cover the wickedness of their heart. And yet you, covered by the blood of Jesus, ushered into the throne room of God, are still like me too today, where we cry out to the Lord saying, Lord, what can I possibly do? Help me get things out of me. Do whatever it takes that I could be used by you. Please, God, use me. Use me for my generation. Use me for my nation. Use me in any capacity. God, I'm asking, I'm pleading, I'm crying out. And yet, God chose these people to use. And I feel like a failure because I'm not perfect and God deserves perfection. And yet, God uses imperfect people all the time. Isn't it incredible to think? That ultimately, when it all said and done, God's perfect plan will be brought to pass by a whole bunch of imperfect pieces. That we'll get one part right and ten things wrong. And God will take the one part and add it with another part. And He will make His plan come to pass. And He will do it all the while, never sacrificing His character or His holiness. And still using vessels that are flawed in every way. You read about it, it just comes to a point where you begin to realize, man, God... Why do we have such a problem this day and age of stepping into the place of actually truly being used by God when everything is made available to us today? And why do we spend so much of our lives feeling insignificant, unqualified, or not able to do anything? Meanwhile, God is just looking for availability. Romans 7, 18 through 24 says, And I know that nothing good lives in me. This is Paul writing. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do, I, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. There you go, Paul. Always cast the blame. It's like the drunk on the plane that we were flying with when he was flirting with a lady. And he was like, it's the booze talking. Yeah, you're the one putting the booze in the pipe that goes down to the belly. It's the Bud Light. Bud Light will not pay the consequence. You will pay the consequence. But it's Paul. It's not me. It's sin in me, dude. I have discovered this principle of life. It's not my fault. I mean, <laughs> that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind, and this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This is Paul, the apostle of grace, we call him, that wrote this, crying out, Man, and ultimately you should read further because it goes on to say the answer is Christ Jesus who has freed us from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Because we have been washed, we have been cleansed, and when we screw up, we don't run from God, we run to God. Amen. Are you with me this morning? And take Paul. Why did God use Paul? 
of all the people you could have used, you used Paul, who was there when Stephen was stoned to death and he approved unto his death and got letters to kill even more people, yet you used him to write two-thirds of the new covenant and to teach us about grace and to bring the church into her new identity as the church of Jesus Christ on planet earth today with a plan and a mission from God to redeem the times. You chose Paul. You should have chose anybody but Paul. Take even the people that were his disciples when they were challenged later. It was literally remarked by the people, these guys are ignorant and unlearned people. They are not intelligent people with high education. Who are they to instruct to us what the Lord is actually doing in this hour? How offensive that God would use a person with a third grade reading level. How offensive that God would use an ex-convict. How offensive that God would use a person married three times, divorced three times, and still pour his anointing out. How offensive would God is God that he would choose a vessel that is far from perfect and put something perfect within them. And at the end of the day, I began to realize as you cry out, the reason why we cry out and all of these things is it boils down to the fact that we're always in this place of comparison trying to assume what does it take for me to be better to get something greater. And then offended that someone else would get something that is beyond you because you are better than them in every way. But God will use, if the Bible, and then you read Paul, why was Paul chosen? It all comes down to what he says in Ephesians. He says, I was chosen, let me find that, that scripture, to explain everyone, to everyone this mysterious plan of God. So if you read the Old Testament all the way through, all the people God used that I went through to, to further his plan and his strategy to build this whole thing in motion, Paul was the one picked by God to reveal what was it all about. What was it all about? This is the mysterious plan of God, the creator of all things. He had kept this secret from the beginning, says in Ephesians 3, 9 through 12. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, shout church, hallelujah, to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God's plan was to use and build a church of a bunch of screwed up people to get something heavenly accomplished. God's plan was to build up a church rich in its variety because God will use people of every walk, every tribe, every nationality, every social class, and every education level. God will use a person that can't read and make them a preacher. God will use a person that's broke as a joke, can't rub two pennies together to become a financial support to some other person. God will take the most obscene, crazy people and put them in a position you would never put them in. And he does it because he is the one that is able to look past everything to the depths of a man. And he knows what he can trust you with and he knows what he can pour out through you. And let me tell you something, in all your pursuit, in all your grandeur, in all your prayer, let the posture be, God, you put me where you want to put me when you need me to be there. And I will give everything I can in that moment for your glory, God. I don't need a title. Take a title. People look for titles. Paul ran 13 years without a title. 13 years he did it. Doing it and nothing changed when the title came. You either have it or you don't have it. You're either willing or you're not willing. And God is the one that assumes that. It's not man. You don't need to win the affection of man. You've got to keep yourself postured before the Lord. 
And after all of this, what it comes down to is that we promote character over holiness. And there is a difference. Character is taught to us by the society that we live in. And God would never use a liar. God would never use a thief. God would never use a murderer. God would never use a, 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 a low person. And yet he does. Because the difference is, is character is something that we promote as the most important thing. The most important thing to God is a life laid down. And you have got to get to the point where you realize he is the king of glory. And if he chose to use them, then he chose right. Right? You have to trust God. You chose Jacob. I don't know the fullness of why. I can read it and make all the assumptions. But at the end of the day, your will actually was carried out. And it worked because the church is alive today, 2,000 years after Christ, still vibrant and still changing lives and still preaching the gospel. Amen? Now I'm trying to wrap this thing up, but it's a long day and who cares? Eight people are like, I care. I've watched the Lord use people. And I, and I said this in the nine, when I first started the ministry and I was a preacher, I had a few senior ministers reach out to me through, through, through Instagram, or not Instagram, Twitter, and various things. And, and they were not mean people. They were good people that God has used. And they tried to bring correction in my life. And they said, you know what? You need to not use humor like you use humor because it, 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 the, the seriousness of what you're preaching will never be received if you stay funny. So you have, to, you have to know that holy things are serious things and it's not a time for laughter. And they brought it to me to the point that I was milling it over. And I think even my wife was like, maybe you should, you, you should be more serious sometimes. And so I remember going through a season where I was trying not to be funny. And I'd go out and I'd preach and it'd be serious the whole time. And I mean, biting my tongue. You're not going to crack a joke. You're going to stay the course. And it was the worst. I mean, I didn't even want to be in the services. To me, it was miserable. I was like, if this is ministry, I think I'm done. You, there was one time you told me to be serious. I guess it was against, you didn't want me to crack jokes about you. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Point taken. God, honor your wife. She is not your punching bag for jokes. Even though she's your best friend, she's not that type of friend. That's so why you got to get an Antonio in life <laughs> that you can pick on for his mercy, and he still loves you. <laughs> so I went through this season, and honestly, it was like so bad. And then, then I felt, you know what? Forget it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be me. Yeah. And. I see humor in different things that maybe people think is borderline. <laughs> There's been the occasional line I didn't creep past. I did leap past a few in my life. Uh, but at the end of the day, <laughs> the Lord uses the church, as the Bible says, in its rich variety. There's a richness of God's variety. And I can sit here all day long. What we like to do and what has even happened from the beginning of time and is even happening now, pick a side. It's like, I'm for Ukraine. Oh, I'm for Russia. There are good people in every nation. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? But we're trained 
to pick a side. And so I'm funny. Well, I could pick the side that every serious minister just needs to lighten up. But what I don't know, but what God knows, is that there are some people that I have ran out of services because of jokes. And yet they'll walk into a place where a dude is so dry and so crusty in my mind that I would fall asleep, but they will get a breakthrough. Do you see what I'm trying to point out to you? Is that you've got to get to the point to realize God's plan is a lot bigger than your understanding. And so what you would write off, God sees value in it. Because it's different than you, therefore it must not be effective, but that's not the way it works. I remember in Bible college, when we would have certain speakers speak, they were just very detailed people. And I'm not a detailed person. If you try and give me every detail, I am, you have lost me, you know what I'm saying? Now what the Lord is saying in 57, 6 is that if you divide the one and carry the three and you bring the numbers and you look at the prophetic thing from 300 years ago, okay, oh, and then I'm like, bro, just tell me what the Lord is saying. <laughs> You know, like, like, get to the punchline to the, to the, to the, to the day, Junior. And then, and then, like, they're laying these things out. And it's like, some of them even, I have seen people that don't even have voice modulation be ministers. Turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel 37. And I'm sitting there like, And then a, a character flaw in me that I recognize as a flaw, that if you go on a rabbit trail preaching, I go on a rabbit trail in my thoughts. <laughs> and you have lost me. You go on one rabbit trail, 45 minutes later, I realize I'm still in church. Oh, wait. Oh, we're still here. What are we talking about? What are we doing right now? What's happened? <laughs> Missed it all. And I'm going somewhere with this. I'm painting a picture, but I remember distinctly a good friend of mine. He was such a serious guy. I would crack joke after joke just because it was actually got to the point to be funny that he would, he just never laugh. So it would just make it funnier to me. And I would just be laughing and he'd be like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And, and Pastor Rodney, when he would preach and man, I, I followed that guy, everything he said, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd be more on the edge of my seat. Every time there was an altar call, I'd run for it. I'd get blessed. By the Lord, but this guy, it didn't matter if Pastor Rodney laid hands on him 3,000 times. He was just like, and he just turned and walked back to his chair. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Get a breakthrough, dude. You're so starchy. You're so stiff. You got to be like me. But you don't have to be like me. Thank God we're not all like me. Do you know how annoying it would be if everybody was like me? I couldn't even imagine trying to have a serious conversation with 10 of me. <laughs> My gosh. I mean, we would be crying laughing, but three hours later, we never got to the meat of the subject. Guaranteed. What a waste of time, except for joy. Unspeakable. But I remember another speaker that got up and spoke, and it was like so detailed. And I was trying to follow along, but I was like, what does this matter? And then I saw them give an altar call, and that man ran forward, my friend, serious as serious could be. And that was the first time I ever saw when they laid hands on him, the power of God shook him to the ground. And he sat there weeping and crying under the presence of the Lord. And I watched him get hands laid on him a hundred times. And I saw in that moment, that's why God has to raise up multiple people. 
because you cannot reach everybody. We cannot reach everybody, but we all have a part to play. And in that rich variety, finding your place with the Lord is the greatest thing imaginable. You don't have to be what you're not, but you have to be what he wants you to be. And that takes a surrender. And I'm closing with this. In Numbers chapter 16, there's a story. And I read it in the first service. I'll sum it now. But of Korah and 250 men that rebelled against Moses. And they stood against him and challenged his leadership. Said, you're wrong. And it was all the, and rebellion is not what I'm pointing out right now. But ultimately, that's what happened. The Lord gave Moses a plan and said, call them together. And everybody will make an offering to the Lord. And then I will answer from heaven. And I will open up and I will swallow them alive. And he did exactly what he said he would do. These men came forward. The ground opened up and swallowed them alive and closed back over them. Fire came from heaven and burned up the other men that were offering and offering to the Lord. Because God is a holy God. And he wasn't dealing with that. But the thing that stood out to me, I read this like a couple months ago. And I would never really noticed that. But as I was reading it, the Lord gave an instruction to them and said, Now wait, you have to take the incense burners that they brought these are wicked people unclean hands unclean lips god consumed them but take that which they brought to the lord for it is holy unto god because it has been presented to the lord and i began to realize there's a difference between character and holiness there is a difference between what we assume to be the greatest and what god looks at and the difference is the presentation of oneself to the lord as the Bible says that we are to daily present our lives as a living sacrifice unto God. And see, when you look at it, who is God using? God is using the person that willingly lays down their life. And when you read, even in the Solomons and the Davids, and you're like, why did you use them? Well, you don't know the depths of their heart, and you don't know what God knew. And so it is easy to sit back on the sidelines of life and judge who God is using, but at the end of the day, Really what we should be focused on is, am I really surrendered to God myself? Because you're going to screw up. You're going to say things. I mean, as a, as a, a pastor of a church leading a church forward, I look back at past things we've done here, and I'm like, why did we do that? Why did I handle it that way? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I should have known better. I should have done greater. I should have had bigger wisdom. And the scary part is when you're looking back, this isn't like two years, three. It's like this was like two months ago. You know, people are like, how long ago was that? Well, you know, we're not really looking at chronological things here. I mean, it's the past is past, brother. Let it go. And that's another thing. Don't we do that to ourselves? Well, what is the safe distance away from that? The safe distance is as far as it is between you and the cross to get back to God. Say, man, Lord, I, I, forgive me. And think about David, when David was called out in his sin, what did David do? He came to the Lord and said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. How can you say that, David? Uriah might have something else to say about that. Because you killed him. I have a feeling that when you get to the other side, y'all might not be friends for a while. Against you and you only have I sinned, God. Renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And take not your Holy Spirit away from me. And the Lord said, this is someone I'm pleased with. So we wrap up this service today. I just want you to take a moment in this place. Close your eyes and put, put your hands before the Lord right now. 
We're starting this series called The Rich Variety, and this is how I felt to start it. It's just the laying down and the surrender of your life, saying, God, your will be done. Whatever you want to do in me. I was talking with a person the other day, and there's such a realness to the fact that you get to a place where your life is not your own. I have dreams, and I have desires, and I, it's, a, it's, I've, it's a time of like where, Lord, am I clear to go for that, or do I have to continue to die to that? Because I want to do that, but, but my first place, my heart posture is to stay surrendered to where you have me, and I'm going to do that until you take me home or until you tell me something else. And there's such a beauty that comes from that because the Bible says He will give you the desires of your heart. But you don't have to go after the desires. You have to just desire Him. And stay in that heart posture of surrender to the Lord of whatever it is you want me to do. I'm going to do it, God. Whether I have a cheerleading squad on my side and thank God for the seasons that you have a cheerleading squad. It is so important to encourage one another in the things of God. Or whether I don't have a cheerleading squad, I have a heckling squad instead. A bunch of Muppets that heckle me everywhere I go. Lord, I'll still stay in the course. Because I'm not doing this to try and hear something here on this planet Earth. Of how great I am or how wonderful I've done or how, how awesome I am. I'm doing this simply because I feel it is important to you. And I gladly give my life. For what is important to you, God. In this moment, as you just search your heart. Maybe you're here and, and that's it. You've been in this perpetual state of just low self-esteem, low comparison. Man, God, you'll never use me. I'm, I'm not good enough at what I do. I don't have enough wealth. I'm lower. I'm lesser. I'm, I'm, I don't know why you would use me. At this point, just lay that down. What a lie from hell. God can use you. But you've got to lay down that stinking thinking and stop letting that always come up between you and God because all that has become is an excuse for you not to be used by God. And you've got to surrender your life to the Lord because that which is presented to Him is holy. And Peter said, He is holy, therefore you be holy. We cannot generate holiness. We can only have it imparted when we surrender ourselves to Him comes upon us by proximity of our approach to the cross the closer I am to him the greater the holiness of heaven comes upon me and I'll think different and walk different you hear maybe you you you've been very cocky very self-absorbed full of yourself and self-assured I'll always dominate I'll always win man I'm the greatest that's ever been the Bible says not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to but even that type of attitude has to be laid at the foot of the cross and say, God, I trust you because what that attitude gets you is that you arrive too early and you push through doors you shouldn't push through. And it winds up doing more damage than more good. And it's not to say that God won't use you. It's not to say the time won't come. But it's to say you've got to come to the place of true surrender to the Lord. To say in the timing of God, I will be where I need to be and do what I need to do. And I trust that today. I trust you, God. You are the great one. You are a holy one. You're a glorious one. And Father, I surrender my life willingly into your hands. And those of you that are in this place in a great season of unknown, 
It's like, man, I honestly, one time, if you'd asked me three years ago, I'd have been pretty confident about what's happening in my life and where things are going. But as of now, I'm less sure of what is coming down the pike. I want to encourage you this morning. You don't have to have the plan. You just have to stay presented to God and trust His plan. You don't have to know every part because the Bible says we only know in part and only prophesy in part. We all get a portion of it, but none of us get the full. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for those that came in here that are in a season of unknowing. That's a season of faith. You've got to understand faith is trusting in things that are not yet seen. Faith is trusting that, that, that the Lord is working within you. There's times when you see it, you have vision, and you run for it. But there's other times that you just stay surrendered and you stay planted, waiting for the clarity of God. And in that season, there's many people that uproot and do the worst choices and find themselves backtracking along the way. But you've got to stay in there and stay in the presence of the Lord and say, God, I'm not moving until you tell me to move. And I'm not going after something until you show me what to go after. Because I trust you and my life is not my own. It is yours, God. And in that is the simplicity of everything we need to do. Of all the crying out, of all the wondering, God, use me. God, do this. God, why would you use that person and not me? Living lives of regret as we assume this person's better and that's why you use them. Or jealousy. We lay it at the foot of the cross and say, no. God, everything you want to do in me, I agree. Let it be done. In Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed across this place, if you're here right now and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you say, I don't know the Lord. If I was to die today, I don't know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven would be my home. Then I want to pray with you and for you because Jesus loves you. And today is the day of salvation. All it takes is a simple surrender saying, God, I say yes to you. If that's you, we're going to pray with you and for you. If there's anybody in here you say, I need Jesus in my life, simply raise your hand right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. Say, thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the River Claremont Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of Jesus, you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com. Your prayers and financial support are changing lives. Thank you.